Happy Easter to everybody. How are you doing this morning? Um, just a quick, we're going to be doing communion at the start of our service. So if you have not received a communion cup and you want to be a part of that, Byron, can you? Byron, can I get you, buddy? Byron, can I get you? Please get those communion cups ready. I want to make sure everybody in here that wants to participate has one. So if you do not have a communion cup, can you just lift your hand if you want to participate? Brother Byron's right there, and he's going to give you one. There's a couple up here, Byron, that I see. If there's anybody else that has not received your communion cup, and I also need one myself, so I'm a part of this crowd today. This is the moment in Christendom that we celebrate that is bigger. This is what we call the Super Bowl of Christianity. All right? This is the game. This is it. This is the big one. For all you football fans that like watching the Super Bowl and you just can't wait to get there, that's what Easter is to the Christian. Because without what we're celebrating today, without the resurrection... Everything that we do in this house today is in vain. Every song we sing, every sermon, that uh, the one sermon, Brian may want to preach a mini-sermon, I don't know yet. All the sermons you're going to hear today, it's all null and void without the blood of Christ. And not only the blood of Christ, but more importantly, the resurrection of Christ. He could have shed his blood he could have went through all the things that he went through, all the pain, all the torture that he went through for you and me. He could have went through all of that and then not resurrected on that third day. And people would have said, this is a farce. This is fake. This isn't even real. He said he was going to rise, and he didn't. And guess what we have? Dead religion. A dead church with a false message of hope. But he did rise. And somebody says, well, somebody, please, could you, could, could you prove that to me? You know, we, we, we got to see things. Well, let me tell you something. Numerous accounts from numerous eyewitnesses got their pens out and their paper out and started writing in, writing in their diaries. Jesus Christ has rose again. I saw him. Even Doubting Thomas, who said, he told me, just reach in your hand. That's exactly what I said. I'm not going to believe until I see and until I can take my hand and put it into the nail prints and put it into his side. And when Jesus sees him, we have an eyewitness that said, he said, 
just reach in his reach your hand in and feel it. And when he felt it, what did he say? My Lord and my God. This is the Lord that we serve today. Many people, many people picked up their pen and they began to write what Jesus did. The Apostle Paul, the disciples, John the Revelator, they all pick up their pen and they write. They spread it to the churches. It spreads all over the world. And here we are over 2,000 years ago, from then, still celebrating the greatest occasion in Christian history. And so today I want us, and quite frankly in all of history, not just Christian history. Now these are very, very simple today. There's a little lip right here. And you'll be able to remove that. You can go ahead and do that. That's the bread that's going to expose the bread right there. And then you'll be able to pull the bottom off when we get ready to, to drink the cup if you want to. You can go ahead and carefully do that. We'll try not to spill anything today. In our newly nice renovated sanctuary. <laughs> we should have bought the clear kind. Next time, clear. That's all we have the carpet we have. We can tear this stuff up so fast you can't even blink. I can have a new piece in in a couple minutes. Today we celebrate this. Jesus is at the Passover with his disciples. He is about to, he's about to be gone. He's about to die. But this is before all of that. They're sitting in a room together. And Jesus wants to have what we know as the Last Supper with his disciples. This is an occasion that he said you would not only celebrate, but years after you, the church would continue to celebrate this, the Last Supper. We would do it together as an encouragement to one another that our Lord has not forgotten us and that our Lord will return for us. And so it's been passed down from generation to generation of the church. Verse 26 of Matthew 26 says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. He broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this and eat it, for this is my body. You may eat the bread today. We do not believe like the Catholic Church that this becomes the literal body of Christ or this becomes the literal blood of Christ. We believe it is only symbolic of what Christ did for us, a remembrance that his body was broken for us, that he hung on the cross, that he was pierced in his side. We also celebrate that by his stripes, we are, somebody, we are healed. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them. Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. You may drink Today we celebrate what the blood of Christ represents. For the blood of Christ was shed so that you and I, so that you and I could be forgiven. How many of you today are glad for the blood of Jesus Christ? Can we give him a hand clap of praise? Come on, Byron. Our ushers are going to be coming around, and I just want you to get your cup here, and you'll be able to. They'll, they'll pass it right down, and uh, they'll get all that. Just pass it between the aisles there. We're going to celebrate Jesus today.
We're going to celebrate Jesus today. I want everybody to have all their hands so they can worship. Everybody have their coffee this morning. You're ready to go. We serve a living God, not a dead God, a living God. So today, let's act like that, that he's a risen Savior. Pastor Brian, go ahead and sing. If you can, let's stand together. Lord, we lift you in this place. We magnify you, O God.
honor his presence, church. Worship the Lord. He is worthy. Speak your praise to the Lord. He is worthy. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We lift you up in this place.
Lord, lift him up. He is worthy. Stand a hand clap this morning. Thank you, God. If you have your Bibles this morning, the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, and verse 9 is where we'll be reading from. I'm not going to your typical uh, resurrect, resurrection sermon this morning. I know some of you are wanting to hear come see the place where the Lord lays, and I may mention that, but it's not going to be the the theme of, of what we're going to be, be talking about today. Zechariah chapter 9 and beginning with verse 9. This is what the Bible says. He said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous, he is victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. In Zechariah chapter 14, um, and, and throughout the whole book, we've been doing, for those that haven't been here on Wednesdays, we're doing a search 66, which means that we're going through every book of the Bible. We haven't got to the book of Zechariah yet, but in the book of Zechariah, there are literally 14 chapters of hope to a nation that was absolutely distraught, to a nation that felt like it was hopeless, their situation was hopeless, and all of a sudden, Zechariah pinned these words in verse 9 for them. How many of you know that Jesus is a master at taking hopeless situations and bringing hope to them? Has anybody in the house ever been there to where you had a hopeless situation, you looked at it and you said, there's no way this is possible, but then you figured out with God, all things are possible because that's the God that you serve. And so as we look at this, 14 chapters of hope to a nation, they're constantly discouraged, everything's looking negative for them. You know, I often look at America and I look at the negativity. I mean, it's hard. We can't even look at our news in the morning without getting discouraged and disgusted. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, we watch the news and we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, what can I do to help it? This thing is hopeless. We look around at the agendas that are being pushed down our throats and we think to ourselves, this thing is hopeless. And I've often wondered, why is it that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah the way that he did, but yet for America he continues to just have mercy on us? And I've tried to figure this thing out, but I think I have. I have figured out, I believe that the reason that we're so blessed is because of the way that we support Israel, God's people. I believe that as long as America blesses God's people, I believe we will be blessed. As a matter of fact, the scriptures teach us to us, and we have a ministry to Israel. And many of you give it every single month. But God's already told us, those that bless Israel will be blessed, and those that curse her will be cursed. And so there's a blessing, and I do believe that Israel is prophetic. And I believe that modern-day Israel is prophetic to the end times. And I still believe... That that is the reason that even in a hopeless world, we see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel because of the fact that we have this great relationship. Israel is special to God. That is who the message is going to in Zechariah chapter 9. He begins to give them a description of a Savior that was going to come. This Savior would not only be the Savior of Israel, but this Savior would be the Savior of the world. We know him today as Jesus Christ. 
We know him as a name above every name. We recognize him today that he is our Savior. We recognize today that we have been saved as we celebrated a few minutes ago this Easter Sunday morning. We have been saved because of the work that Jesus Christ has already done for us. He has already accomplished it. He has already died. He has already resurrected. Right now, we believe as Christians that he is on the right hand of the Father in heaven making intercession for us, and we are waiting for the second return. That is how we know him. We know he is our Messiah, but see, the Jews, many of them still do not know him as Messiah. A matter of fact, many of them, they still have the blinders on their eyes. They do not recognize and claim him as being the Savior of the world. They do not believe like we do. The Savior who has already come, lived, died, resurrected in total victory. That's what we believe. But there are some Jews today, Israel, God's people that this is being written to, that still don't see it that way. They don't see him that way. They see him as a great prophet. They see the Jesus of the Bible as a good teacher. They see him as a good guy that people wrote about and talked about. Maybe he did a few miracles because he was a prophet. But they do not recognize the finished work of Christ like we do today. But Zechariah 9 wanted to point out to them several things. Three things in particular. The first thing he wanted them to know is he is just. What does that mean? He is righteous. He is holy. He is sinless. Now some of you, you say, well that really don't matter to me. But it means everything to me. Because this lamb had to be spotless without wrinkle or blemish. This thing had to be perfect. So if you take a sinful Jesus and try to make him the savior of the world, it's going to fall short. But when you take a perfect, perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that makes all the difference in the world. So Zechariah says the first thing you need to realize about this savior is he is sinless. He said he is bringing salvation. He is the Redeemer. He is not a Redeemer. He is the only Redeemer. There are not seven ways to heaven. There's not a booklet to teach you how to get there. You must come through Jesus Christ. Listen, I remember several years ago, and we may have some Oprah fans in the house, and that's fine. I've seen some documentaries she did that were wonderful. But I remember many years ago, and it's public knowledge, no secrets here, when they had this, this show with Joel Osteen, I'll never forget it, when they started talking about how you get to God, I'll always remember it. I watched the video for myself, and they were talking about how to get to God, and Oprah was talking about finding the light. Finding the light. Well, I'm fine with that. Jesus is the light of the world, right? But she was talking about a different kind of light, and she said, maybe people get to God differently. You know, maybe the Islam find him through Muhammad and different things. You're thinking, you said, what? What? And we got a preacher on stage that pastors thousands of people. All he's got to say is, wait a minute, honey, there's only one way to heaven. He refused to do that. That changed it for me right there. Because I'm going to tell you something. Every Christian ought to stand for that truth that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way that a man can come to God except through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, this is what God said. In Zechariah, he said the only way. There is one way that you can be saved. And that is through this king that brings salvation to man. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through this righteous Redeemer. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? It's going to take more than a fat Buddha to get you to heaven. It's going to take more than the Muslim faith to get 
you to heaven. It's going to take more than religion to get you to heaven. It's going to take more than turning over a new leaf to get you to heaven. If you're going to heaven, it's because you came through the righteous Redeemer, the Son of Almighty God that's alive today. That's how you get to heaven. There's no other way we have to. And then thirdly, let me move on. Thirdly, he said that he is lowly. That means he's humble. He's forbearing. He's long-suffering. That means that he loves us despite of who we are. He died knowing what we would be, but yet he still died for us. I want everybody today just to grab the love of God right now. He knew the mistakes you would make, but he still loved you enough that he said, I'll still take their sin on. He loved you so much that he didn't care that many of you were going to backslide. You were going to walk away from God. You were going to get cold. You were going to get indifferent. But he said, man, I'm going to die for them anyhow because I, they have potential. And I know that they're going to come back to me. He is this lowly Nazarene. Zechariah says to us, after I look at this, I have no problem greatly rejoicing to think about my king that brought redemption. That loved me when I was unlovable. That cared for me when I was uncarable. When I didn't even care about myself. This Jesus cared about me. And Zechariah begins to say, I've got a right to rejoice. I'm telling you, where would we be today if it wasn't for that king? Where would we be today? Many of us would be in hell. Some of you would be in a drug rehab. Some of you would be in AA trying to figure out how to get your finger off the bottle. Some of you would have broken up marriages. Some of you would have children in jail already. But because this king of glory came, and because you found him when you did, everything changed for you. Hey, listen, we have a right to rejoice, folks. We have a right to rejoice. I tell people all the time, they go to NASCAR and get drunk and fall on each other. Nobody knows who won the race by the time it's over, but they scream and they shout and they don't know why they've lost their voice on Monday. I'm telling you, if I lose my voice today, I'm going to know it was because I was celebrating the resurrected Savior. So be it. Hallelujah. I, I, I got to go. But, I, but I'm not here to preach today on redemption I'm not here to preach to you that he is lowly. I'm not here to even preach on his humility. What I want to focus on today is something that I saw in the passage that caught my attention. And that is that Jesus rode on a donkey. Woo. Oh, y'all going to help me today, aren't you? Why would God even feel it important? To put that in there. Who cares what he rides on, right? It's Jesus. Why, what significance does what he ride on have to do with who he is? But it has everything to do with it. So today, I'm going to preach a simple sermon. I'm not going to hold you too long. I just want to preach a sermon on Jesus will ride again. When, 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 when I look... And, and, and when, the, when the curtain is rolled back, for the first time in history, all right, and we see this baby Jesus, he's not even born yet. He is inside of a woman, right? She's about nine months pregnant. She is about to give birth. They are riding. Jesus is riding as a baby in a wound on a donkey. And he is not even born yet. The donkey is taking him to a manger. 
Joseph and Mary, you know the story. He's been warned in a vision, in a dream that he's got to leave, that, that Herod's trying to kill Jesus. They begin to move. He, he's taxed. He must go to Jerusalem. A nine-month expectant mother is riding for 90 miles on this donkey. However, inside of her virgin womb, another monumental thing that we need to stop and just take a minute. Not all denominations believe in the virgin birth of Mary or, or Jesus and that Mary was a virgin. They don't believe it. They say it's scientifically impossible. Again, with God, all things are possible. The seed inside of you, Mary, is that, not that. That's why he's sinless. If you give him the seed of a man, he is automatically born into sin. So the Holy Ghost, who also is in the Trinity and perfect, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit plants a seed inside of her and says that that is in you is not of a man. That is the Holy Ghost that has put that there inside of you. The virgin birth means everything too. The only begotten Son of God is riding, taking this ride with her. I mean, she couldn't go to the drugstore and grab a pregnancy test. They didn't have them back then. And though she didn't look like it, and though she didn't feel like it, God said, you'll conceive it, and it settled it. She believed. So when she went to Elizabeth's house in the scripture, and their bellies touching, they're standing belly to belly, two pregnant women just standing there talking, hallelujah, the Holy Ghost said, I'm going to give you the Son of God. She's carrying the Son of God. Their bellies are touching. The Bible says that when John came in, John is literally, when he comes in contact with Jesus, I guess their bellies rubbed. I don't know what happened, but they had a Holy Ghost revival. And the Bible said that when John came in contact with Jesus and when Mary and Elizabeth are talking, that the Bible said the Holy Ghost got on John even before it was born, and he began to leap in the womb. He began to cut lips in the womb. And Elizabeth, oh my goodness, what's going on, baby? Jesus had come in the room. Hallelujah. John did more shouting before he was born than many Pentecostals will do in a lifetime. And he did it right there in the womb. Mary, you are not carrying any, just any baby. You are carrying the Son of God. And when the curtain opens up, it is not a full-size stallion. It is not a thoroughbred that you would see a king riding. It is a little lowly colt because that's what Zechariah said was coming. On a lowly colt, this humble Savior is going to come into the world. Do you know why the Jews don't accept Jesus as Messiah? Because when they believed that their Messiah come, they didn't believe that he was coming in an humble fashion. They believed that he would come with a sword in one hand, whatever other weapon he could grab in the other, a shield, and he was going to lead them to victory. I mean, let's shed some blood. And that is not what Jesus said he was coming to do. 
It wasn't the blood of others that he was wanting to shed. He was going to shed his own blood so that other people could be saved. Thank you, Jesus. It is not a thoroughbred. It's a little lowly colt that is coming into the city of David so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. There's some people say, preacher, it just worries me so much where Jesus was born. It worries me that the end was full. But let me tell you, don't let it bother you because all lambs are born in a barn. And that night in Jerusalem, I'm glad to report to you that the Lamb of God was born, yes, in a barn, but he took away all of our sins. So Israel wants their king to be on a throne. They want their king to be in a palace. Here comes a lowly Nazarene saying you can have your limos, you can have your Cadillacs, you can have all your fancy things. You just give me a donkey and take me to the manger. So the first time that we see Jesus heading to Jerusalem, he's headed on a donkey. No, he may not look like much now. He seems like any other baby right now. But you just hang on, honey, for a little while because Jesus is going to ride again. Somebody shout hallelujah in the house while I just take a moment to calm down because I'm getting really excited and I got two more points. After 33 and a half years, Jesus has lived the perfect sinless life as we've already talked about, but he's about to ride again. I could tell you the story. I won't waste much time, but he tells his disciples, says, I need you to go to this person's house. There's a bound coat colt over there, a donkey, all right? It's never been sat upon. Do you know what that means? That means that's a wild donkey. I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all something right now. Donkeys are mean. Anybody ever been chased across the yard by a donkey? Me either, but I think it's been done. There's some wild donkeys out there. I did talk to a donkey one time, and he talked back to me. And I'm not going to try to make that sound because my wife will get me after service. The wild donkey, nobody's ever sat on. And this is symbolic because Christ wants to show who he is. That even the donkey's going to tame down for him. If the owner says anything to you about getting that colt or that donkey, he said, I want you to say this to him. Just say the master has need of him. And when he hears those words, he says, take him. He can have him. Now he's riding again. He's going into Jerusalem down the streets. We call it what last week would have been Palm Sunday. We call it the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. He is not riding to be celebrated. He is riding. He is going to be mocked. He is riding this time. By the end of it, he'll be spit on. By the end of it, he will be crucified. The people of Jerusalem are caught up in so much emotionalism about this prophet named Jesus. I mean, they're feeling the, the chill bumps, if you will. They don't love him. They don't really love him because the same crowd that is crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of God in the highest. Just a few days later, they're going to cry out, Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. These hypocrites, they didn't love him. They just got in a little emotionalism. They had a little revival of, oh, this feels good, and everybody's doing it, and it's cool. So let's worship Jesus, too. They weren't willing to die for him. They weren't even willing to follow him. And if they did follow him, the 
only reason they did was so that they could see miracles. Him lay hands on people and they recover their sight. Or he calls Lazarus from a grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out bound in his grave clothes and he says, loose him and let him go. Who wouldn't want to come to see that kind of action? That's entertainment, baby. But the same people that have hollered Hosanna, laid palm branches and jackets in the way, a few days later they're going to be saying, give us his head. And now this cult that has never been sat on. I don't know much about breaking a cult. I really don't. But I've got a little bit of brains. And I guarantee you that if I jumped on one of them wild donkeys in the middle of a pasture, you would want a camera, pull out your phone, we are going viral on YouTube. Because that donkey, he ain't going down without a fight. It's going to be like a free bull riding, except for donkey riding with Pastor Jimmy. Yeehaw. And we're going to be hucking and a bucking across that field. I'm telling you, I think that it's harder to break them than just sitting on them and then say, all right, I'm going to submit to you. You're my owner. The disciples, I can see them. They're probably dragging that poor donkey by the head. Come on, boy. He's making his noise. Come on, come on. Why in the world would Jesus make us get an untamed donkey? I mean, why couldn't we have got one that's been ridden on? And they're dragging him across. He's yanking his head. He's fighting. He's hollering. But when he gets in the presence of Jesus, he is tamed. Hey, when wild men come to Jesus, their bucking days are over. Jesus can tame even the most vile of sinners. Just ask a man named Legion. The Bible said that they bound him with chains. They tried their best to stop him from being so crazy. But guess what the Bible said on KJV version? Said no man could tame him. But when Jesus Christ, this living Savior, came on the shore of the Gadarenes, that demon fell down at his feet and said, this is Jesus, the Son of God. What are you wanting us to do? Jesus, help Jimmy today. So Jesus rides, yes, through the eastern gate into Jerusalem. He is on his way to the cross. Now, while Jesus was on the cross, notice something that he said. That's where it led ultimately. That ride led to his crucifixion eventually, very shortly after. When he's on the cross, there's something that he says. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the only time on the cross, this is the only time that he could not find the Father. It is the only time of separation. The time that Jesus needed him the most, but God couldn't look at that sin. It was at that moment that his son took on the sins of the world. God had to turn his back from the son, and he cries, why have you forsaken me? The angels are gone. Most of the disciples are gone. The crowd is gone, and he's crying, my God, why have you done this to me? But in the Bible, it shows us. The only time that a father and a son could be rightfully separated. Do you know where it was? It was back in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. It is with Adam and Eve. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. Showing us that the only time it is right to be separated from the father is when you are going after the bride. And I'm telling you on that old rugged cross 
2,000 years ago, while the Lamb of God was shedding his blood, him and his Father are separated. He was wanting us to know he was going after his bride. Guess who the bride is? It is the church of Jesus Christ. He was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he arose. But wait a minute. Jesus is going to ride again. We move on in our Bible. And we go all the way to the book of Revelation. It's the last book. There's 22 chapters in it. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, I have the seven churches of Asia. I went more into the uh, pre-tribbers and mid-tribbers and post-tribbers Wednesday night for church. I don't have time to go over that again. I'm going to stick with pre, all right? We go to chapter 2 and chapter 3. There are messages to the church of Jesus Christ. Sardis, Laodicea, and all these churches. Pergamos, there's seven of them that he goes to. Sends them warnings, tells them, get ready, I'm coming. If you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In chapter 4 and verse 1, what I believe to be the rapture of the church. I heard a trumpet and it said, come up hither. And I believe that to be the rapture of this church of Jesus Christ. In chapter 6 through 18, the great tribulation period is going to be underway. The judgment of God on Israel is being poured out for the blood that Jesus shed on the cross many years ago. Some of you said, how do you know that? Because when they cried, give us Barabbas. Crucify him. There are some key words that they said. They said his blood be on us and on our children and our children's children. They brought a curse upon themselves. The judgment of God in Revelation because of their rejection of the Messiah. He is going to pour out the wrath of God. The Antichrist is going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to proclaim himself as God. When it seems that the devil has an upper hand. There's been seven years of demonic activity on this earth like we have never seen before. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm just going to wait in there until the tribulation. You know, I got some mid-tribbers saying, well, we can just wait and get saved after Jesus comes back, you know, or before Jesus comes back midway through that tribulation. I'm going to tell you something. If you can't serve Jesus right now, I promise you, you ain't serving him during no tribulation, honey. If you're just going to hang in there and wait until the end, you might as well get over it. It ain't happening. Don't everybody shout at once, still, and they'll ruin my message. If you can't make it now, I promise you, you are not going to be able to make it then. Seven years of demonic activity. It is at an altar. I mean, you think people are breaking in places now? You think murder rates are high now? You think woke culture is bad now? You wait until the tribulation starts. But wait. Jesus is going to ride again. In chapter 19, I've got Satan. I've got the false prophet. I've got the Antichrist. That is the trinity of the devil. Like the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost is the trinity. Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. It's going to be the devil's trinity. All the armies of the world are going to be gathered in the valley of Megiddo, the valley of Jehoshaphat. It is going to be the greatest army on foot that the man of the world has ever seen. And about the time that Satan is going to raise his hands. And he is about to take the final victory. And he's going to say to Israel, that nation, look, all the nations have surrounded you. There is no more hope for you. Nobody is going to save you. Bow down and worship.
of me. For I am the Savior of the whole universe. There is going to be a shaking that is going to take place on this earth like we've never known before. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the clouds are going to split open. And a white horse, not a donkey, but a white horse is going to come out of that cloud. Hey, let me tell you folks something today. He's not on a colt headed to a manger. He's not on a donkey to be mocked and crucified. He is riding on a white stallion like a king deserves it, heading for his millennial reign because Jesus is going to ride again, and it's going to be different this time than it was last time. What is that? What is that on his vesture? His vesture has been dipped in blood. What is that? It says, yeah, it says, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Hold on for a minute. They haven't seen the last of Jesus because he's going to ride one more time. And can I tell you a little other part of the story? We're going to ride with him too. I said, we are going to be with him too. And when the devil thinks he's going to win and he's about to lift his hands and says, look at this million, over million man army. Some say two million and even more are going to be on foot. But God's going to kill all of the armies that have made war against him and his people. The blood will flow to the horse's bridle. God's going to take the devil and his imps and bind him with chains and cast him into hell. What a day it's going to be. Because of the resurrection, because he lives after I die, I will live also. No more trouble, no more pain, no more discouragement. I'm glad Jesus is riding again. I'm going to leave you with this and I'm going to close. I've preached long enough today. So, Jesus is going to ride that same horse to the same gate. This is history and I want you to grab it. To the same gate that he first entered into Jerusalem on that little donkey. On that wild donkey. He came through the eastern gate. Now the eastern gate is prophesied by Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel 44. I'm going to leave you with this verse. Pretty powerful stuff. Then the man brought me back to the east gateway in the outer wall of the temple area. But it was closed. Did you hear it? It was closed. And the Lord said to me. This gate must remain closed. This is prophecy, folks. It's happening right now. It will never again be open. No one will ever open it and pass through it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered here. Therefore, it all, must always remain shut. Are you ready? Only the prince himself. Did you ever read Isaiah 9, 6? The government shall be upon his shoulder. He shall be the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Only the prince himself may sit in this gateway to feast in the Lord's presence, but he may come and go only through entry rooms of the gateway. In history, the year is 1517, during a war, Solomon ordered that the eastern gate be sealed up with stones. Legend has it and abounds as to why Solomon closed the gate. The most believable one is that while the walls were being rebuilt, a rumor swept through Jerusalem that Messiah was coming. Solomon called together some Jewish rabbis and asked them, tell me about this Messiah. They described to him the Messiah that they believed he would be 
as a great military leader who would be sent from God from the east, he would enter the eastern gate and liberate the city from foreign control. That means he would set up rule there. Solomon then decided, we'll just put an end to Jewish hopes. We'll order that the eastern gate be sealed. Furthermore, and you can go today and see it, he also put there in front of the eastern gate a Muslim cemetery in front of the gate, believing that no Jewish holy man would defile himself by walking through a Muslim cemetery. The gate has remained sealed ever since that time. The Muslim cemetery still blocks the entrance. The old wall city has eight gates and the eastern gate, and it is the only one. Just as Ezekiel 44 prophesied, it is the only gate that is sealed. The world would call it an amazing coincidence, but I call it a God incident. The eastern gate is proof to us today, proof positive, that the Bible is the infallible word of God. Its sealing is clear evidence that we, yes, we are living in the end times. The gate awaits the return of a Messiah. Then and only then will it be opened. The gates will do what Psalm 24 said. Said, let the king of glory, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle. The Lord is his name. Amen. Come through these gates. Open up doors and the king of glory shall come in. Let in the king of glory. And Jesus is going to ride in again. He'll go to the throne of David. He'll sit on the throne. All of the scales that have been on Israel's eyes are going to fall off. It's going to be one of the most beautiful scenes you've ever seen. Because in that moment, God's people are going to realize it's Him. It's Him. All the books we read, that book called the Bible that we ignored, oh my goodness. That's Messiah. He has already paid. He has already lived. He has already died. Look, your Savior is no longer on a donkey. Your Savior is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is riding in on a white horse. My God Almighty. The scales are going to fall off. They are going to realize this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that we have been waiting on for years and years. Don't be discouraged, saints of God. When you see everything going bad, there is a reason that the Apostle Paul said, when you see everything going to hell in a handbasket, he said, lift up your eyes because your redemption is drawing nigh. You look towards the eastern sky. One of these days, Jesus is going to ride again, and he's coming back for us. We don't serve a dead God today. We don't have a dead religion today. We refuse to have a dead church today because Jesus is alive and well. So I keep my eyes on the sky. My redemption is drawing not. I am looking for the white horse and the one that sits on him because I know Jesus will ride again. Can we give him praise today? Oh, and worthy. Grab a mic, Beth. Worthy is the Lamb. On the throne. Yes, let's sing this. Crown him now. Crown, Crown him now. now with many crowns. You 
tell you, if you do not know the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, I want to give you an opportunity today. And whether or not you want to step forward, and if you do, that's fine. I'm all for it. I will be more than glad to pray with you right now. But even if you choose to stay where you are today, all you have to do is accept that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that with your heart, the moment that you confess He is Lord, immediately you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It is the only way to God. It's a simple way to God. So today, I'm going to open the altars whether you need Christ or whether you're a Christian and you just want to come have a moment with Christ. I don't care. The altars are always open here, so I definitely want to give you that opportunity. And we're just going to sing it a few more times. Let's go. For
Jesus today. Can we give him a hand clap of praise for him? Thank you today. I want to close today with just a few announcements. We have a local missions project, Rebuild Upstate Missions, that we're going to be partnering with. Uh, Seth Monroe is going to be going over some information about that on April 16th, immediately following our service. You go straight down the hallway. That's our choir room. You can't miss it right down this hallway. He's going to be after church on April 16th. If you are interested in helping with the local missions, this may be building a ramp, uh, helping just different things that people need in Pickens, excuse me, in Pickens County that we're going to just give our time to. Some of you have mentioned you wanted to help with things like that. So Seth's going to give it a shot April 16th. So meet in there to make sure that we have all the uh, participation to do that. Also, Gap Widows Meeting will be Tuesday, April 18th at noon, lunch provided. Speaker is going to be the infamous Rita Duncan. Games and prizes, fun and fellowship. Family Day, April 30th. Our children are going to be worshiping and singing with us on stage, so be a part of that. Also, there will be a mother-daughter brunch on May 6th at 10.30 a.m. There is a sign-up sheet as you walk out, I think, on the right-hand um, side there, a sign-up sheet in the foyer for more information. And um, Lauren is going to be heading that up for us. And so also a few things I want to mention. Uh, we need to continue prayer for Benny Morton. Continue prayer for Elaine Belcher, who will have surgery on April 14th. Multiple doctors working with her. Seven-hour surgery. She really needs our prayer. Also today for, for David Greeno's family. That's Leslie Greeno's brother that passed away this week. It was a sudden thing. And so our prayers and thoughts are with you, Leslie, and your family as you go through this difficult time. I also want to mention today that it is a miracle and it is a blessing to see our own David Monroe in the house. Brother, we honor you today. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. The first day I saw you in that bed, I wouldn't have expected you to be here like this today. But hands raised, praising God. Man, testimony right there that God can take care of his children. We love you all, and we appreciate you today. Thank you for coming. If you don't have a home church, you're always welcome here. Listen, if you didn't get to go out and see the kids thing, you should go out there in the gym. 
They're doing a walk around of the life of Jesus. It is absolutely amazing. I, I'm telling you, you ought to walk out here and take a look at it, uh, especially you when you pick up the kids. God bless you guys.